the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Using your money wisely for the Lord. That's today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. You know, nothing is more sensitive than talking about finances and money, from the pulpit especially. Yet Jesus was quite clear on this subject on several occasions. So today, we'll do just that. As we continue our survey of the book of Luke, we find ourselves in chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, where we run across the idea of using your money wisely. How you use your wealth does matter, as we'll see today. Won't you join us? With today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. A man's bribe makes room for him and brings him before great men. Now here's a practical way that you can make friends by the means of godly bribes. You see, maybe you have a friend that you've been trying to get to come to church with you. You've tried everything that you could possibly think of, but they really don't seem to have an interest in spiritual things. So you say, listen, if you come to church with me this Sunday, I'll have you over for dinner afterwards, and we'll have turkey and all the trimmings. Now, that's a good bribe, especially if that is the only way that you can get that person to come to church. Make friends with unbelievers to get them under the sound preaching of the gospel. And all of this means that we have to understand that advancing the kingdom of God in this world constantly costs money. I think most of us way too often forget this. I think many of our brothers and sisters believe that going to church and listening to preaching and reading our Bibles is wonderful and it's free and that's sufficient for our Christian life. Absolutely no way. It costs money to conquer the world for Jesus. It costs money to have a church. It costs money to run kingdom causes and kingdom institutions and crisis pregnancy ministries and all other such things. The church is dependent on your finances. It is dependent upon your possessions. It is dependent upon your physical blessings to carry on the kingdom work. And if you do not support it, if you do not finance it, it will Shut down. Now, this command to make friends using your wealth has got to be seen in conjunction with another command that sort of says, at least a lot of people think, the opposite of this. In James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. The point is, don't make friends with unbelievers if... It involves compromise on your part 
or making unholy alliances with this world's system of evil around us. Because as one English Puritan said, when you begin to please the world, your world, you wage war against heaven and bid open defiance to the Lord of hosts. So understand, both of these principles stand together. Don't use your money to make friends with an evil world to compromise what you know to be true, but do use your money to make friends with those in the world for evangelistic purposes. One commentator by the name of Vaughn said, to be a friend of the world is to value the approval of and cherish a relationship with persons and forces which are either indifferent toward or openly hostile to God. The situation is comparable to that of a wife who would cultivate friendship with a man trying to seduce her. Such a wife becomes her husband's enemy. So when you hear Jesus say, use your money to make friends with various kinds of people, don't think you are hearing him say that that justifies trying to modify in any way or circumvent, compromise, or disobey the law of God. Well, let's ask another question here from verse 9. It says, And I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the internal dwellings. So what is the relationship now between making friends, using your wealth, and entering into eternal dwellings? Whatever it is saying, it is not saying that you can buy your way into heaven. That's actually the first thing I thought of. It is not saying if you give a lot of money to the church, you don't have a thing to worry about when you pass on. That most assuredly is not what it is saying. It is saying that how you use your money to benefit other people and to glorify God is evidence of what is going on in your heart or where your treasure where your treasure is there is your heart so if this is a real effort on your part to make friends with people by means of the wealth that God has given you then that is a sign that there is real life here that there is real discipleship you really are seeking to give up your life for the service of the Lord Jesus Christ but then it says when it fails it says that your money and your wealth and possessions are very useful to the kingdom of God, very valuable until your mammon fails, until your money and your wealth and your possessions and property fail. Well, when will they fail? When you die. You can have all the money in the world, but the second you die, it is of no use to you whatever. So it says, use your wealth and your gifts and your abilities to make friends with people so as to benefit them in the kingdom of God to evidence the true life you have in Christ so that when you die and your personal possessions are no longer of any use to you, you will be received into eternal dwelling places. But you know the hardest word for me in verse 9 is they. I say, make friends for yourself by the means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, I personally think that's a contrast with verse 4, which says, I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. 
So it is a contrast between this very shrewd manager who says, I'm going to take off the interest so that I can have a, a future and they'll welcome me into their homes and I'll be able to sit at their tables. And now he is using that as a model and saying, just as that is true in a physical, transitory, temporary sense on earth, that if you are using your talents and your gifts and your possessions for me, then when you die, they will receive you. Not into temporary dwelling places, but into eternal dwelling places. And who is the they? Well, the steward thought it was his friends. All of your friends who you helped by cutting their interests will welcome you into the eternal dwellings. The they, here are all of our friends who go on before us. When our come times come, our time comes, they are going to get an email, so to speak, from the Lord that says in just a few minutes, Joe Loomis is going to appear at the pearly gates. Be there waiting for her. And all of her friends will be there to welcome her. They will receive her, and all of her friends will welcome, and all of our friends will welcome us into the eternal dwelling places. So how you spend and give away your money is directly related to where you spend eternity, beloved. The rich man went to hell because he did not use his money to make friends with Lazarus. Now in verses 10 through 13, Jesus expands his point and notice what he says in verses 10 and 11. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust to riches to you? Now you've got to figure out what it means when he says in verse 10, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. What do you suppose this very little thing is? Is it perhaps just a tiny little bit of our wealth that if we're faithful in the nickels and dimes of our life, then that will show that we are disciplined and faithful in bigger things in our life and that we'll inherit true riches. I don't think that's what this verse says. I think the words very little thing is all of your wealth. All of your possessions, every dollar you have in your bank account and under your mattress. What God is saying here is that you should not overrate your wealth because compared to eternal riches, it is a very little thing. I don't care how much property you have. I don't care how many possessions you have, how much money you have, or how much your investments are worth. It is a very little thing. It has its use in the kingdom of God. But compared to this eternal dwelling place and God's true riches, material wealth and possessions are very little things. Let me ask you before I go on, how much do you value material wealth and possessions? Would you say your house is a very little thing? What about your investments? A very little thing? 
What about your diamond wedding ring? What about your retirement account? A very little thing. Make sure you are not overrating the value of what God calls very little things. And he says your faithfulness in these material riches mean that you're not only going to be faithful in various other areas of your life, but it also means that you will be entrusted with true riches throughout all eternity. So let me ask you a few more questions. Sometimes God puts riches in our lives to test us, to see if we will be faithful. It's easy when we're struggling to be faithful because we must be dependent on the Lord to care for us when we have to go without things or when there are more days in the month than there is money in our bank accounts. But then God blesses us with wealth and he says, let's see, are you going to still deny yourself? Are you going to take up your cross and follow me? Are you going to give me all of your possessions and put them at my disposal? Or is all that wealth going to make a difference in your attitude? Will prosperity assist us in our service to Christ? Or will it seduce us away from him? If we are faithful in these comparatively very little things, it will show that we are being faithful in the very big things connected with our discipleship to Christ. And if we are faithful with reference to the material blessings, God will graciously bless us with true riches. Are you using all of your material possessions for Christ or only for yourselves and your immediate family? Are you using your material possessions to make friends with people so as to lead them to Christ or to encourage them in the Christian life? How much do you value the things that you own? How would it affect you and your inner life if God suddenly took everything you prize away from you? Now, verse 12. If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's. You see, the steward was shrewd in handling someone else's money. Who will give you that which is your own? Christ says. So when we learn, so we learn here that faithfulness as a disciple means recognizing that all we have is a stewardship from God to be used according to his purposes. Material wealth and physical blessings are given to us from God as a gift alone or a trust, a stewardship, which may be withdrawn from us at any moment, beloved. The possessions, the property, the wealth that you and I have do not belong to us. God gave them to us for his pleasure. But he never relinquished ownership of it. Do you understand that? All you have belongs to and was given to you by another. You have nothing that is really yours. Your job, your home, your children, your abilities, every moment you live, the air you breathe, the food you eat, the life you call your own, your present and your future. Everything you have is given to you each moment of your existence from God. And God says, when he gives you something, use this for me. And he has the prerogative 
to take it away at any moment that he sees fit. And there is no arguing with God over this matter, beloved. You say, well, Gary, I do believe that. Really? Well, let me show you how we really don't. How well, how, how, all, how all we have belongs to God. Everything he gives us belongs to him, and we are to use it for his pleasure. Right? Let me show you that we really don't believe that. Have you ever said, I am so committed to Reformed Heritage Church, or I am so committed to pro-life ministry, or I'm so committed to Chalcedon, or this ministry, or that kingdom cause, that I am willing to sacrifice my wealth to support it. Sacrifice? You don't have anything to sacrifice. What are you talking about sacrifice? You don't own anything. You nor I have ever sacrificed anything. We have simply given what was given to us. We don't make sacrifices for the kingdom. It all belongs to God. He gets it all because he is the one who gave it to us. And if you are faithful in these things, then God says, quote, I will give you that which is your own. If you are faithful in that which you get from another, he will give you that which is your own. And what is that? He is once again talking about the reward of grace that he gives to his disciples who prove themselves shrewd and wise stewards over what God gives us to care for. Pastor Herman Hanko said this, Faithful stewardship in this life prepares us for the future. By faithful stewardship, a person lays up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Presently, you must die. When we live this life, we cannot take, when we leave this life, we cannot take gold and silver or the things of this world with us. All of these things shall fail. Our stewardship will come to an end. The things of this world are only of temporary value. Oh, they have a purpose. They are a means to an end. But when that purpose is served, they pass away. The goal is attained when we enter the kingdom and when the kingdom is brought to glory. So to him who uses unrighteous manna to lay up treasures in heaven, he will be entrusted with spiritual and heavenly riches from the kingdom of heaven. This does not mean that we earn our salvation. The reward is of grace. Jesus was talking primarily to his disciples who were citizens of the kingdom by the wonder of his grace. So it is with every faithful child of God. The faithfulness in us, in us is of grace. The reward granted to that faithfulness is of grace. Grace gives the strength and the reward for it is all of God. The everlasting life of the child of God in the presence of God's covenant and the full enjoyment of God's covenant is the inheritance, that which belongs to us, which is permanent, which God gives us, which we shall never lose, and which begins in full when we look at God and he looks at us in death and he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then in verse 13... We have that very familiar and powerful verse, and with this I will finally conclude. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and material wealth or mammon. That is, in other words, compromise is impossible. This exhortation reminds us that the danger of material wealth is that sin and Satan can use that wealth to enslave us and to control us. Material wealth can be a very powerful seduction. It is a subtle seduction that really controls people's lives. It controls their emotions, their affections, their energy, their will, their mind. It grips the entire personality of the person because it grips that person's heart. But Christ and material wealth make totalitarian mans on a person. Both Christ and material wealth make total totalitarian demands on a person devoted to one or the other. Each demands our entire devotion. Each wants us to live entirely in terms of its demands. Compromise is totally out of the question. You cannot serve God and mammon. It is impossible. If a thirst for material wealth possesses us, we are indeed godless, whatever we may profess to be. It is impossible to be at the absolute disposal of two masters at once because each claims undivided attention and service. Here is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. The person who thinks he is godly because he talks about God and says he believes in God and goes to places of worship occasionally or even regularly, but is really living for certain earthly things, how great is that person's darkness? Whom do you serve, he says? That's the question. Is either God or mammon? Unquote. There is nothing in the last analysis that is so insulting to God as to take his, his name upon yourself and to yet show clearly that you are serving mammon in some shape or form. Let me end with another illustration by Lloyd-Jones. He says, I remember once hearing a preacher tell a story which he assured was simple, literal truth. It illustrates perfectly the point which we are considering. It is the story of a farmer who one day went happily and with great joy in his heart to report to his wife and family that their best cow had just given birth to twin calves, one red one and one white. And he said... You know, I suddenly had a feeling and an impulse that we should dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together. And when the time comes, we'll sell one and keep the proceeds. And then we'll sell the other and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. His wife asked him which one he was going to dedicate to the Lord. And he said, well, let's not worry about that now. They're young, and we'll raise them both the same. And then someday, when the time comes, we'll know what to do. And off he went. In a few months, the man entered the kitchen looking very miserable and unhappy. When his wife asked him what was troubling him, he answered, Sweetie, I have bad news for you. The Lord's calf is dead. But she said, You had not decided which calf would be the Lord's. He said, Oh, yeah, I did. 
I had decided it would be the white one, and it was the white one that died. The Lord's calf is dead. We may laugh at that story, but God forbid that we should be laughing at ourselves. It is always the Lord's calf that seems to die. When money becomes difficult, the first thing we economize on is our contribution to the Lord's work. It is always the first thing to go. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.